0: Without further ado, here's the acclaimed author of the Make Each Click Count book series, the founder of True Online Presence, the founder of Make Each Click Count University, and the host with the most, Andy Spleichel.
1: Welcome to the Make Each Click Count podcast. This is your host, Andy Spleichel. We are happy to welcome this week's guest to discuss today's topic, which is important legal ins and outs of operating and exiting an online business. This week's guest is the founding partner at Raffleson Law Firm, the number one go-to firm for online businesses facing legal challenges and digital sellers looking for the best deal when exiting their business. In addition, he is the founder of Online Merchants Guild, OMG, a trade association that enables thousands of online sellers to voice their concerns on various legal issues affecting them, Weary volunteers in a position as executive director, and finally, he also was most cited resource in congressional anti-trust investigation into Amazon's mistreatment of sellers on the platform. A big welcome to Paul Raffleson. Hi, Paul.
2: Hey, thanks for that intro. It's really it makes me sound cool. Thank
1: you. That was <laughs> awesome. Well, that's good because we only allow cool guests on the show. I got, to be. Oh, uh, well, I got,
2: I got through the door somehow. So I pulled something <laughs> off
1: then. Hey, let's start with what was the congressional antitrust investigation into Amazon's mistreatment of sellers? What what was that all about and what were you commenting on?
2: Sure. So, you know, there's there's different layers of e-commerce and and obviously there's a very different experience when you're an e-commerce seller on a platform like Shopify, which is really just your website, right? I mean, it's an operating right. platform, but in many ways Shopify is, you know, a website, right? Whereas in Amazon, you are playing by their rules. And in exchange for playing by the rules, you're getting access to their market. You're their supplier. You know, the whole idea that you're a seller or retailer on Amazon is sort of always kind of been a false misnomer that Amazon used to sort of get out of responsibility for certain things, whether it's taxes, intellectual property theft, or like, you know, dangerous products harming people, you know, they say, Oh, well, it's, we're not the seller. We're, we're just a, we're just a, a broker a marketplace in, in, in certain cases and then not in others. It was, it was just sort of this legal fiction that nobody really ever questioned. Um, and, and so there's sort of like, you know, but you're not, you're not a free operator on Amazon. You're, you're very much stuck to a rule book, whether right. and that rule book affects, you know, what you can price your products for um, what you can sell, what you can say on the listing, what happens you know, it used to be a rite of passage on Amazon that you would sell, you know, you sell anything expensive that you're gonna get, you know, you spell, sell a $400 La Cruchette, uh, you know, Dutch oven and you get one return that's completely been used for 20 years. And obviously, and, and whose side is Amazon gonna take? Always oh, the seller side, right? I mean, you know, the buyer side, right? The customer right. side, Amazon's customer. And so it's just that whole hodgepodge of nonsense Having the risk of your account shut down at any moment's notice, the number one reason why my clients actually want to sell their business, it's not because they're out, they're excited to exit. They like the recurring income that they're getting, but they're just afraid at any given moment, it's going to go, Amazon's going to shut them down. So, so this wasn't.
1: Yeah, what was the antitrust investigation?
2: So, that's the mistreatment. So, thanks for putting me back on track. So, the antitrust investigation is sort of investigating well, does Amazon have too much market power here? Right. Like why is it that all these p- companies are so reliant on Amazon and who is Amazon? And it's the government's really it's their first look into Amazon um, and a way it's set up to see whether Amazon has too much market power. And by explaining to the government that yes, they do have too much market power and they use it in a way which is really, you know, tragic for sellers. Like it's a very, it's a very unpredictable platform for people, very one-sided and unfair. Um, or you know, very much tilted towards Amazon's favor. Amazon always wins, right? They can never lose. You take all the risk, but Amazon and you might win some. Amazon will win more. You might win um, a little bit, which might be significant for a lot of people. But Amazon will always win. Uh, you take on the risk of losing, and and sort of that kind of investigation in light of the fact that they are, um, you know basically a monopoly, right? They have do they have like monopoly power because they really are the only game in town. You know, if you look at e-commerce in a certain way, like you could argue they really are the only game in town. I mean, every single house in America is it's effectively a prime household and I would argue with anyone who says otherwise because you know, statistically, it's like there's something like 100, close to 100 and some million households in America. So, how many Americans are there? And we're talking households, right? So it's mm-hmm. it's it's a lot of people. And if it, they're not an Amazon household, it's it's probably because it's the kid at college, right, who's using their parents' Prime membership. I mean, we are a nation addicted to Prime, and it's what we've learned, right? And we saw this through the development of Amazon and e-commerce that when Prime came about. Um, it was a game changer for our clients when, when, when our members could enter into prime as sellers, when you could resell as part of prime through the fulfillment by Amazon program, that's when, that's when people would go from Amazon as a part-time hustle to holy, holy buckets. This is a full-time thing. I can make a lot of money doing this. This is real. When I sold on Amazon uh, years ago, there wasn't. Yeah. I mean, to
1: play, to play devil's advocate for a minute. I mean, Amazon built all this. And yes. they're trying to protect their reputation of sellers. Why should sellers be provided any protections?
2: Mm. No, it's a good, good question. A couple things about that. Amazon built the platform, in our opinion, a lot of lies, a lot of, of legal tax breaks that probably shouldn't have happened. The sales tax issue, which is the issue that brought me out of corporate law and into this space, and actually is one of the most anti-competitive things I've ever seen right the ability of amazon to sell tax free while, comp- while its competitors could not and and they would constantly lie and claim it has to do with this con- this this old constitutional law case from 1992 but that didn't actually affect amazon at all um, that was just you know that affected you know shopify and other things but uh, amazon was able to basically go in the back room of various states and make these deals where they were tax exempt while the competitors weren't so in exchange for that they were building what basically was the e-commerce railroad so What I would liken it to is this, let's go back in time to the day of like the dawn of the automobile, like Henry Ford, right? And you got, let's say you have Ford and you've got, um, you know, Chrysler, right? And let's say Henry Ford was like the Jeff Bezos of the car industry. And he, let's pretend he was smart enough to think I'm going to go to every state and tell them to build this thing called a highway, right? And I'm going to convince them to fund it. And then I'm going to own it. Ford Motor Company will own it. And only the Ford drivers will get to drive on this highway and all the Chevy and Chrysler and other car drivers will have to take the side road, right? And the next thing you know, they go state to state and they build these highways and they have a national highway system and only the Ford drivers get to use it. So which car company is gonna win in that scenario? The car company that comes with, and you can almost argue that this is somewhat of like Tesla's strategy too, right? When they build the charging network, but right, more so here because like you need the highways, right, that was important. So. Amazon did that. they basically you know used perverted like tax incentive schemes to basically take control of this sort of like e commerce railroad and so their dominance wasn't you know it wasn't natural and organic as people think i mean they they definitely play games they definitely play games with interpretations of the law that you know allowed it to grow. Um, they took risks that Walmart wouldn't take, that Target wouldn't take, you know, and that, those are risks for the safety of products that people are buying, the, the authenticity of products. So, I mean, there was a lot of things that they were willing to do to win um, to get to where they're at. And I'm not saying we should break up Amazon. I don't, not, that's not really um, what I'm trying to, I just, you know, we're just trying to say is they are in a place, a position of massive power and um, they, a lot of people are getting hurt on the platform and, and what does the government want to do about that?
1: So what are if you're selling on Amazon, I guess, do you have any rights at all? Or is it just uh abide by the Amazon rule of thumb?
2: So in this environment right now, it's an interesting time. So Amazon is so so let's talk about the online merchants field, this sort of nonprofit trade association, an alliance of e-commerce sellers. Okay Um, that I'm trying to build. And it's very difficult because getting small businesses to understand this is really hard. When I worked for GE and Microsoft, these big corporations, this is just what you did, right? If there was a law or a policy that you didn't like, all the companies, all the competitors come together singing kumbaya, you form alliances, you fund it with millions of dollars, you go to court, you lobby, and you you just knock it dead. It's very powerful, that power of unity. They're, you know, I don't know how many millions of sellers in in, in the world, but if you just took took the United States, right? Each seller is a voter. Amazon's not even a voter. We have a very powerful potential base, right? And we could do a lot to really level the playing field between seller and Amazon. Amazon's not this giant pariah that cannot be completely uh, um, untamed, right? I think people think that because this is how we used to, we think of big companies, but I come from a Different world. It's like, no, it's, it's actually very easy to do it. You just need money and good lobbying, good, you know, good hygiene for what, you know, industries should do, right? The Wisconsin cheese farmers know how to protect themselves. I don't know how a bunch of Amazon sellers can't really figure it out. And it, so it that's, does frustrate That's me. what
1: you're trying to do with your guild, right. is to just, round right. up a bunch of Amazon sellers and then try to get more rights for the sellers. Exactly,
2: through lobbying, through legislation, through just, you know, and the antitrust was a powerful part of that because it was, you know, this is the first time the government can really do, you know, can really impact Amazon, right? They're thinking about some crazy things. They're thinking about possibly taking Prime, you know, they're possibly taking the delivery system away and separating that from Amazon. Maybe Amazon shouldn't own the delivery network. Maybe the maybe the solution, which is the solution we proposed is to create a system where Prime, the delivery network that we're all addicted to in this country, built on Amazon's perverted incentives. Um, maybe if we make that open to all so that if you shop on bloomingdales.com, you're Prime. If you shop on my own Shopify site, you're Prime, which now you can do. You noticed Amazon opened up Shopify to Prime. Um, sort of in, you know, this was a suggestion. It was that, you know, we can get people to shop outside of the comfort zone of Amazon and and and, and but, that prime that two day shipping that we were addicted to, they still get it. So other companies can benefit from this very sophisticated e-commerce railroad that Amazon built. And you know, that's a term that I used um years ago, you know, years ago in, in relation to like, you know, the old Union Pacific cases back in the day. But it's also a term Congress adopted in the antitrust uh hearings. If they like Amazon is kind of the e-commerce railroad. That's so that's why I stick with it today. Um so, but that, yeah, I mean, that, that's the point. It's the it's, idea it is we're very powerful. Like we have, the, you know, e-commerce sellers have the potential to be one of the most powerful lobbying forces in the world. I mean, just think about, just based on the numbers, right? Just based on the numbers. I mean, think about the ARP, right? The American Association of Retired People, right? You know, you think that's just a bunch of people, seniors who are getting, you know, 20, 20% off their, their Outback Statehouse check with a card. But that actually that, that little card funds one of the most powerful lobbies in the country. Just because there's a lot of them right? And they vote. Seniors vote more.
1: Now, As Amazon you know, sellers, I mean, we
2: could, you know, not just Amazon, all of e-commerce, we have that potential. And that's what we're trying to do with the guild as a nonprofit.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great idea. Um, you know, I wanted to circle back. You had mentioned another hot button issue is the e-commerce sales tax, where most of my private clients are, you know, I have some Amazon, but, but a lot of them have their own Shopify stores, mm-hmm. and it's always where Do you need to pay tax? Where do you not? I guess, how does that work with the Amazon spectrum? Are they paying tax everywhere now? Mm -hmm. And what do you have to worry about if you are just purely an Amazon seller, you're not selling anywhere else? Does Amazon collect all that for you?
2: Yeah. So I believe with the exception of maybe Kansas, I don't belong with Kansas, but I mean, for the most, I, I rarely know an Amazon seller who's concerned about Kansas at this point. And I, um, I mean, legally, we believe Amazon always had an obligation to collect that for you because we believed under the internet tax freedom act, which was from the nineties, Amazon was a retailer, right? And you, you know, so for example, if you had in your shopping cart as an Amazon customer, let's say you bought a product one P direct from Amazon, we call that one P and you bought a product 3P from a you know, third-party seller, but it's in the same shopping cart. That's one checkout, that's one credit card, one transaction, your credit card says Amazon. You often don't know who you're even buying from, right? Mm-hmm. Unless the brand owner happens to also be the seller, right? Um, which a lot of times is not because there, you know, there's a lot of retail arbitrage is what I used to do when I was a kid back in the day um, on Amazon. Um, you don't really know. So, I mean, Amazon was always the store. Right, And they actually openly call themselves a store now because for any trust purposes, that's what they want. Um, but under the Internet Tax Freedom Act, you know, the rule is you have to treat e-commerce the same as, you have to treat online commerce as the same as offline commerce. It has to be parity. So if, if the if rule you have, is offline, If you have a location in that state. It doesn't matter. It's just, it's just the, the state government has to, as a matter of policy, let me put it a different way. If the rule of thumb for offline is the retailer is the tax collector, then they can't say, but for online, it's upstream to a supplier. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. It still has to be the retailer. And if that retailer doesn't have Nexus, well, tough luck. That's the way the law was written. And our position is, well, Amazon was the retailer in all scenarios. So Amazon should have been collecting those taxes from day one mm-hmm. at all times. Not, there was never this whole idea that the seller is an independent retailer was complete nonsense under state and local tax law. I mean, I've never seen anything like this in my life. I mean, billions of dollars lost money. So that's sort of the history of that. I wrote an amicus brief. Uh, one of the first things I did when I was started on emergency, we wrote a brief in the Wayfair case, which is a big sales tax case. Um, we filed a few lawsuits involving taxes since then. We actually just won one in Pennsylvania. And this will get, I'll tell you a little bit about it. We just won the case like uh, two, two, three weeks ago. Uh, it was a big constitutional law win that basically said that Amazon fulfillment by Amazon, your, your inventory, you know, how it works with FBA. I don't know how well your audience is, uh, you know, the broadness of your audience in terms, of how well they know the distinctions of Amazon versus Shopify, but with Amazon. Yeah, no, they're, they're mostly,
1: building. they're mostly e-commerce sellers.
2: Okay. So they know that if you put your inventory in Amazon, it's not one state, you may ship it to New York, but it's going to end up in a whole bunch of states. Right. And the old thought process was, well, that means you have a physical tax obligate, your physical mm-hmm. presence in every state and your inventory lands in even if it's just for a short minute, and therefore you have a tax obligation. Well, the Pennsylvania Commonwealth Court looked at the case and they said under the US Constitution, not Pennsylvania, the United States Constitution, that's not enough presence. The fact that Amazon directs your inventory to other states does not put you in that state. That would be insanity, which is what, you know. I'm also a tax professor. I taught a commonwealth class on taxes in New York. So this just kind of like a little bit of a, a topic that I'm very passionate about. Um, the right answer. So, what if that's true? And obviously, there's still more to be done. We've got more cases, and, and, and more states need to we need to win this matter on. But it's the first court to actually rule on the issue. Um, it means that really, an Amazon seller's nexus is not d- d- defined by their FBA presence. Let's call it right, their presence in the Amazon warehouses. It's, it's not. But that was that's the general rule, and that's a scary concept because if you have nexus. In every state where Amazon has a warehouse, there's a sales tax collection obligation, right? However, as we talked about earlier, Amazon's collecting the taxes now thanks to what are known as marketplace facilitator laws that were, in my opinion, somewhat unnecessary as applied to Amazon, but okay.
1: Let me me stop you right there. I got a question. So if Mm -hmm. that established nexus in every state that Amazon has a Warehouse. I I have a lot of private clients who sell both on Amazon and a Shopify or a big or their own Mm -hmm. store. Would that make you have Nexus and have to charge tax on all of those states through your own store?
2: So this is my federal challenge that is currently happening in California. Um, This is exactly the question we're trying to get the answers to. Some states say yes, some states say no. So, for example. The rule of California is you have to have a half a million dollars of sales, and this is what's tripping people up. Nexus is a half a million dollars of sales, right? No transactions, just half a million dollars of sales to California triggers California Nexus, which seems like a very generous threshold, right? Hard to make a constitutional law case against somebody who's doing half a million in a state to say that they shouldn't have some obligation to do something there, right? Seems reasonable. The problem is if you, their position is if you, do one of 20 different things, that is an economic threshold, economic nexus threshold. The physical presence threshold of yesteryear, the old quill threshold before the Wayfair case, still in their mind still applies. States believe that that threshold still applies. So it's not economic nexus or physical, like like it's, it's physical presence or economic nexus. It's not in other words, if you have any physical connections to the state whatsoever, mm-hmm. it all goes out the window. The idea of these thresholds, they're not good protective measures because the states are saying, well, you have physical presence. You're, you had a widget landed a warehouse for five minutes. You have Nexus. So you're, you're not protected by our $500,000 threshold. And we think that's unconstitutional. So we're actually challenging that right now in federal court as well. That's part of what we're challenging. And the Pennsylvania court really helped because they said, obviously, it's not enough to just say that some, your, your inventory is in Amazon's warehouse. But as a Shopify seller and you put it in your own warehouse, I mean, it's a different story, right? And it's important because you can be a Shopify seller and an Amazon seller at the same time as most of of our clients and members are. And if you don't understand your thresholds, that's why when I coach my Shopify clients on what the appropriate answer is for when to collect tax, it's it's a financial risks and rewards decision. It's a risk mitigation, not rewards. There's no reward collecting tax, right? But it's a risk mitigation question. It's like, okay, if you're doing $50,000 of sales and the average tax rate seven 7%, 7%, let's just do some quick math. That means if you, and you didn't collect tax, that means you could be out on average, give or take. This is all ballparking, right? This is not legal advice. You could be out, I don't know, uh, what is that, 3,500 bucks if you didn't collect. But that's 3,500 bucks if all the states went after you and then you have to tack on some interest and penalties. But are all the states going to go after you? And you start to break it down and you just do like a risk analysis. And it's like, okay, well, do you want to spend... You know, thousands of dollars with like tax avalera, whatever jars. You know, to get compliant with Mississippi so that you can pay them twenty dollars every year.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, um, I had a friend who's you know he was a selling a. In Washington State, has this B and O tax, which is like a sales tax, but it's 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 on the it's on you, not the customer. So you have to pay it. But the rate's really low. It's like not even a percent like it's like i think it was like two tenths of a, it's it's a, because it's it's on gross not net so it's a very low tax rate and i, think I had a friend who was saying that they spent like six or eight hundred dollars a year with 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 tax jar to, to to pay that tax but the total amount of tax was like 20 bucks hmm. so like i'd rather let the state like for 20 but if i if i'm gonna owe a state 20 let the state come after you <laughs> right. 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 And so yeah. They're no, interested in penalties would be cheaper. It's they're yeah. not because they're not right. And if they do, it's probably be cheaper. I mean, that's not my formal advice, but it's sort of a philosophy that I want, you know, that people need to consider. It's like, it's not, it's a constitutional question. It's not set in stone that that's the right answer. Because one could argue if it's costing me $800 to pay a state $20, it's not me who has it wrong. It's the states that have it wrong. That's the problem. It's the, the constitutional problem lies with how this whole thing is done. But it doesn't end with sales tax. We have to talk about income tax, too, if you want to get into taxes, because that's even scarier, because sales tax for Amazon sellers is kind of a dead issue. For Shopify sellers, it's still an issue. Um, And we have a proposed solution for it. But then on top of all this, they still want to get everybody for income tax, which was a big part of what our Pennsylvania case is about. And let's let's
1: let's let's switch gears on on the tax because i also wanted to talk to you um, yeah also wanted to talk to you about one of your specialties helping companies exiting a business absolutely um, hey what's up there this is andy i wanted to take a quick break from the show and talk to you for just one minute you probably know that i've been called the world's foremost expert in e-commerce growth strategies but have you ever wondered how i gained all this knowledge First, you probably guessed it, it's through all the years of interviews I've done with experts and uber successful throughout the e-commerce space right here on the Make Each Click Count podcast. And second, it's through all the courses that are available at Make Each Click Count University. From Facebook to Google Ads to Pinterest to SEO, if you are looking to grow your business by either adding a new marketing channel or by optimizing existing marketing channel like an expert go to www.makeeachclickcountuniversity.com forward slash classes. There you will find a course that will help you become an expert in whatever marketing channel you currently need help. Better yet, choose more than one. Join Make Each Click Count University and join me and other marketing professionals live once a month at our monthly marketing members-only meeting. Again, you can view all courses at www.makeeachclickcountuniversity.com forward slash classes. Now, let's get back to the show. You know, I mean, that's a dream of many sellers. they launch a business online. They, they build it up. They sell it for millions. They live in Fiji. But it doesn't sound like that's what you're seeing. You're seeing most people are selling out of fear that they're going to get shut down or... I guess, what, what are you seeing and, and how are you representing those businesses as sellers?
2: Okay, so I want to be clear. I'm not a broker. Okay, I've thought about being a broker, and especially last year. Last year, we had a real bubble. There was a huge private equity push into these companies that were buying up Amazon brands uh, starting in late 2020, 2021. Uh, We did two hundred million dollars in Amazon exit deals for our clients, right? So Amazon, I mean, these are predominantly Amazon sellers. They also had Shopify sites, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But most of these clients were predominantly Amazon. Uh, That was just one year. That was for for a small firm that's focused in you know e-commerce for for small to mid market. That's a lot, right? It's a lot of deals. Uh, So we've seen seen a ton. I don't want to underplay. So, so you make a good point. Go live in Fiji. Were my clients living in Fiji? Yes. But was their number, was that their motivation to sell? I, it wasn't because yes, they were getting millions of dollars and, and, and they had that experience. But at the same time, they're like, I do make a lot of money.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Like, I do make $800,000 a year, right? Or I make a million dollars a year. Or I make 2 million a year. That's pretty cool. And now they're going to give me like, you know, I don't know, depending on how much money they make, right? Anywhere from, you know, if you make $800,000, you know, back last year at the height of the multiples, you might've gotten close to 4 million at closing cash. If you were lucky, Mm -hmm. um, if you're doing above a million or 2 million, you might get close to 10 million. Right. But then like, what do I do for the rest of my life? I don't want to do it. But their reasoning was it was money. It was chips off the table. That's the motivation. So I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, I don't, nobody needs to, you know, bring out the violins for these people. They did great. You know, um, and we can talk about, you know, these whole things work. with so why, uh,
1: why do they want to take chips off the table?
2: Because at any given moment, they were too Amazon reliant. These were companies that the only companies that were part of the bubble last year were the. So in other words, these we call them aggregators. Right. So we're talking about Thrasio, We're talking about um, Razor. We're talking about Purge. Talk, these are companies that aggregate Amazon brands and think that they can sort of take advantage of economies of scale. Right by owning multiple Amazon brands at once. And you know, there's a lot of different strategies for why they want to do that. Um, and they were very heavily funded. It was a thing, it was a bit of a bubble last year. And I say bubble because this year it's not nearly as active. It's kind of a sadder story, but um they were offering this 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 you know amount of money. They were not looking for companies that were like if you were less than sixty-five percent Amazon, they were kind of not interested because they didn't really know how to run Shopify, right? They're not like open source. Open source seems like it's sort of the opposite, right? Open source sort of this newer aggregator that's on the, coming in on the other side, where they're trying to aggregate the Shopify stores, right? These aggregators just wanted Amazon. They thought they could just, they thought they could just manip- really manipulate Amazon. Maybe not. I shouldn't use that word. They can game, you know. They thought they had it figured out, right? Maybe just pump up PPC, pay per click advertising. And that's all you got to do. I mean, I literally heard that there are some aggregators that that, they, that was a strategy. They got, you know, tens of millions of funding. And really at the end of the day, the theory was just dump a bunch of money into pay-per-click advertising and we'll win. And, you know, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Um, but so they were coming in and, you know, our clients were just basically saying, yeah, I mean, I'm going to take this offer because at any given moment, Amazon can take my, my product sure. out of so the market. So
1: it sounds and like they, they were just s- cashing in on that bubble, really. They were cashing
2: in the bubble, but for the reason of like
1: because they didn't they know if they were going to be shut shut down.
2: Right. If they knew that Amazon wasn't a risk, that they didn't live in fear of like that, like how are you going to say no to four or five, you know, three, four or five years of, you know, because that's how you measure value in these deals. You pay people multiple earnings. So if you make half a million and your multiple is four x, that's a two million dollar deal, right? How can you, you know, I may not have, a, if you're living in fear that you may not actually have a business in four years because Amazon might shut you down or compete against you or whatever, you know, it's, you know, it starts to feel like, you know, my clients are telling me that, it's, that this is their way to sleep at night. That this gets them to sleep yeah. at the, you know, finally. So, so man, let's pull the violin out, but yeah. you know.
1: So let's pull out in the future. What if, what do you see happening in 12 to 18 months when it comes to e commerce, spe- specifically when it comes to selling on Amazon, do you see sellers getting shut down where that could happen? Do you see it continuing to grow? I mean, where, you know, you're in the weeds with this. Where, where are you seeing things going?
2: Well, we're seeing, well, so the antitrust stuff is working. Like, I think Amazon's getting the message the government's interested in this. They didn't pass, the government didn't pass their antitrust legislation, which I thought was weak anyway. So I'm not surprised. I'm not. I didn't think it was effective, honestly. I, I was very vocal. We were very vocal that the antitrust legislation of the government was passing. which just was going to open up the whole situation to ten years of litigation. Nobody was going to win, right? What well, they weren't even going after the right elements. So I, I. But I think at the same time, Amazon recognizes that the government's seriously considered looking at this, and they're under they're under the microscope. So they're in having worked at Microsoft. Like, I can tell you what it's like when you're working for a company under the microscope. You know, a lot of that competitive fire that you know you say we're going to crush you're like literally coached out of the set you can't even send emails with the word "crush" in it right like they don't want you to do that so i can only imagine the environment going on in amazon right now where they're a little bit being a little bit cautious about what they say how they present things what their strategy is like you know they're not out to they're not out to crush shopify i don't believe that's the case um so I think, but at the same time, we're seeing a lot of positive. Amazon introduced this new account score as supposed to help prevent unnecessary suspensions. Um, So we're seeing a lot of positive coming out. And so I'm hopeful because I hate the business. I mean, like the worst, I love my clients. I love helping them grow. My least favorite thing to have to deal with is Amazon suspension. We deal with it all the time. A great team handles it. We we do it the cheapest I think possible uh, because we do a subscription model. Uh but it's because I hate the industry. I I think it's it's an awful thing. So the more Amazon invests in making it less likely. And they and they did recently announce at their uh um uh Amazon in, in Innovations conference last about two weeks ago, they announced a whole bunch of you know new stores and new technology, new tools that are supposed to help you prevent suspensions. I think that's great. That's a win for sellers. That's what we want. We want to see that. We wanna see Amazon be proactive. Um and just taking this stuff seriously. Um, and that that's honestly, that's the first step. I still think we need as sellers to unite and I'm not a uniter. I'm not, I'm very good at like running the lot. Like I used to do this as a job in other scenarios. I'm not the influencer rallying type, but I think somebody who is needs to come in and join and be a part of this program and really help us get to a level where we can really just have our voice heard and really be one of the most powerful forces in um, in government, and and just have our people controlling the dialogue twenty four seven in Congress. I mean, we should be. You know, Amazon went through a whole antitrust. All these organizations popped up with a, all these agendas, and they were all well funded. You know, whether it was workers' rights, you know, whether it was um, unions disguised as some, you know, other. Th- you know, it mm. was it was always something but we as the sellers is the online commerce who had no voice. Like we, we, we had minimal interactions. The fact is that we just knew the antitrust uh, people from our prior working with them. So we had a very good line to them, but we didn't have that lobbying force that we needed. And, and so I, let's, I think that, uh, that still needs to happen.
1: So let's talk about the online merchants guild. If business owners listening mm-hmm. and, and wants to join, they can join it. They can learn more about it. I mean, what's, um what yeah. should somebody do if they're interested a couple of things so what i'm
2: looking for is i'm looking for so i've been in charge of this thing for a long time and it's not really what i do as a volunteer so i don't make even when we sue like i don't take legal fees it's not a fun like it's not a thing i do my pro bono. like i don't take money from the guild um when we do legal court cases i use all the money that comes in goes to pay our external legal counsel or lobbyists or whatever. And we do a lot, we've done, you know, we did a lot of lobbying around the uh, tax laws when it was a big issue with the Amazon uh, stuff. And we fight these court cases, but um, what we need is we need money and we need leaders. I want people to take the lead. I want people, this is, this isn't my order. I just, all I did was take that thing that every company I know in the world does. Like I said, you know, we had a um, another tax example. We had a, a, a sugar tax proposal in Chicago Years and years ago, and you saw uh, Starbucks and Jamba Juice and Coke and Pepsi all kumbaya getting getting that overturned right right away. Millions of dollars in funding right away to overturn a sugar tax in Chicago, and, and it took literally a, a New York minute for them to get that you know uh, together to get the funding. You know, we we we're, we're how many million small business owners and yet we can't get funding. Like the LMG, you know, like our financials are public record. You can see them at the IRS's website and there's, or other websites that publish our, our funding, uh, tax returns. We don't really bring in that much money. Uh, if we did, we'd be extremely powerful. So I want leaders to come to literally contact me and say, I wanna be a leader in this. I wanna be a part of this. It's very transparent what we're doing. And we'll be, you know, there's no secrecy I just need those leaders. And of course, yes, give money. You give 100, you know, the, the starting membership, the way the membership's with tier, it's, it, we don't actually, you know, we created suggested membership levels um, back in the day. It's like, you know, if you were at the biggest level, I think we asked for like $10,000 a year. So if you're doing like millions and, you know, tens of millions or something, uh, but the starting membership was 100 bucks a year. So we're just like, you know, in other words, we're trying to just make it like easy for everyone to be a member. We don't literally check, we don't check you to say, oh, well, you're bigger than that. Maybe we should, but, you know, we just want to try and get people to participate, join. It's a very powerful thing too. You know, when you, when you have an organization, you've got people who in every district and every congressional district, it's very cool. You can do and, a lot and, and it's so powerful.
1: And is there a website they can check out? Where, where should they go?
2: Online, just check out online merchant Uh so online online merchant merchant dot org. Yeah. And I haven't actually been with the website in a while, but, you know, it's there and it has a join us and you can just go in and, um, you know, make a sign up and uh, you can click donate and uh, make a contribution. And, um, yeah, you know, we'd love it, We'd appreciate it. But I mean, again, we're looking for so I'm looking for definitely for small business owners. Let's be a part of this. And. You know, so that we can grow this organization. But I want to give this organization over to people. Like, I want more influencers in the e-commerce space to come on board and really take you know, like, get on the board of this thing. You don't should have to be an influencer to be on the board, but I want a nice mix on our on our ownership board to 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 um, to really you know push the help who, you know people who can really ignite this thing. Um, when I was brought in here, I was brought in again with sort of the understanding that I would not be the igniter. I would just be the doer, which is what I like to do. I'm a lawyer by trade. I like to do what I do. Um, But we just haven't had anyone ignite. And we thought we, you know, people who wanted to, then they just kind of didn't want to. And it was Mm -hmm. kind of sad. It was like, you know, we had a lot of momentum and it kind of, people kind of fizzled out. Like, I mean, I don't mean to be crass, but like there are people who are like, you know, uh, we'll tell you. We'll, we'll ask people to spend $5,000 on a course, but they had an uncomfortable asking people to spend $100 on a nonprofit <laughs> trying to save the industry. And I'm like, what is going on? And you, know, and you go to big shows and are like, can we get a booth? And they're like, you have to spend $10,000 on a booth. I'm like, but I'm trying to save your industry. You know? I'm talking the trade show. I'm like, I'm trying, we're trying to save your industry. We're trying to meet, keep your numbers high. Because if, if, if Shopify sellers have to... If, you, if Let's go back to tax if you have this to, to account for six figures in tax consulting tax compliance costs, so we're not actually talking about taxes, but just how much it would cost you to comply with all the tax laws in, in in the United States, whether it's income tax, sales tax, property tax, franchise tax, like you're, you're out of business before you start business, right? You're going to realize pretty soon, like you're going to need some money in your back pocket just to cover all the accounting costs. It's expensive. I don't think people will realize just how burdensome that alone is. Right. And and it's for, like, that reason that we're trying to save the industry because, like, that's where Congress is – that's or not Congress. That's where the states are heading. The states are not acting in units. They, they sort of have this shared think tank. And, like, for example, they published this guidance little well, less than a year ago. And they say, like, a chat bot is – if you have a chat bot that answers customer questions on your website, so not a human being but a chat bot, like, that's considered nexus now. Mm, wow. Say. Wow! So, like, we're, we're screwed. Like, if you look oh. at what Congress is doing, I'm sorry, not Congress, what the states are doing in their infinite moronic wisdom. And they are morons because these are all, like, old out of touch people who, like, literally still think that people pay for stuff on eBay with checks. I swear to God, it's a true story. I was asked that question. And Amazon. They thought that, they, they were like, do people still do Amazon with the checks? I mean, that's how many what percentage of amazon do people pay with the checks on the third party marketplace that was a question i was asked in 2017 i swear to god by a very influential person in a very influential state um it's it's scary but these people are determining our future and if, if you let if, if, if nobody can keep them in check and we don't come up with better solutions i mean like e-commerce the industry is is at risk i mean it's it's, it's and that's what we're trying to fight we're, we're the online immersion skill sits above like individual courses and sort of that tribalization of like people, I know people like different people. That's all fine. We love all of you. We're not going to treat, online immersion skill isn't about teaching you how to be successful in e-commerce. It's about making sure that the opportunity to be successful in e-commerce is open to all. That's, we're about preserving that opportunity, right? Keeping the portal open for everybody, because it is one of the most revolutionary things if you ever think about, right, e-commerce, what it did, right? Think about The businesses that you have today, if you had started them in 1991, what you would, how much money would you have to raise? What would you have to go through? You'd have to think about distribution, all these things. How would you have done this? Right? You'd be on a plane to Bentonville, hoping Walmart will buy a ton of your stuff, and
1: just you know. I mean, remember that? No, it's it's amazing. It's uh, definitely has uh, made this era. Uh, this opportunity that we have now uh, for all of us, whether it's marketers or or merchants, um, just like something never been seen. Well, this has been a a really fascinating interview and I've I've loved hearing about um, the uh, guild that you represented. Um, We are about ready to have to wrap it up. Is there any final last words you would like to add before we close it down today?
2: Yeah, I I just wanna say um, thank you first of all for the opportunity to be here. I, I love, uh, you know, please feel free to reach out to us. We have one of the coolest things we offer through, through our law firm and through a network of others is this thing called sellerbasics.com. I I invite you to check it out. It's a subscription pl- program and, and it's $99 a month. And you can talk to lawyers. You can talk to me, you can talk to our associates, our network of lawyers. And it's, it's those calls are included because I think lawyers owe you guys. We, uh, I think, I think the legal industry owes a bit of an apology. Right. I think we've scared the living crap out of people about what it takes to have a lawyer. And, and unfortunately, what I have found and what my mission is in terms of my private practice and building seller basics is I'm in the mission to prevent people from letting bad advice, bad general advice, destroy their business. Because most of my clients who get into deep trouble, it's preventative. And we are a law firm that's about announcing prevention. We're about we don't litigate. We don't like to litigate. It's very bad. It's most of the time unaffordable. We want you to get good advice on the front end and the general stuff doesn't work. So I don't know how to make it any cheaper than $99 a month where and you so can that's, call a Yeah, at. just a,
1: a subscription service, and then you can call anytime you want. So that how that yeah, works Yeah, you go to sellerbase.com,
2: you schedule a call with myself, okay. with my other lawyers, with other law firms, you know, depending on the subject matter. You have an FDA question, you have a just general how do I structure my business question? I have a tax question. These are all legal questions, all right? You know. And it also comes with free Amazon account suspension services. We don't charge for that, if you're a member. And it's, the, it's, it's it's more important to me. I would make more money not doing it. But it's more important for me to get people in the mindset of like, rather than, you know, I know that people we hate, the hourly, the hour, the by hour industry doesn't work, right? It's too, you know, and I understand why people don't trust it. So we're trying to really, you know, get people comfortable with hiring lawyers. Is my biggest competitor in this industry. There's not enough lawyers in my opinion who cover e-commerce. My biggest competitor is the Google Zoom. My compat- biggest competitor is DIY. That's that's who I'm concerned about. And my 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 reason I hate those programs is because they're wrong a lot and they it, it's, it's they give you the technically they don't even count as advice and they give you a lot of bad advice. So you know please you know check you know call us set us set up a friendly checkup call. Let us talk about your business. Make sure you're doing everything good by the book let's take a look at it and see what's going on. And that way you don't have any problems in the future and you do that ounce of prevention. So that's my plea to you. And it's not just me. And and even if you don't use solid base, just call a lawyer, like just start working with a lawyer. I think it's important. I think it's important that business owners realize that this e-commerce is cool, but it's also the most, you're, you're not just, you're a small global business. You're not a small business. You're a small global business. You're dealing with importing from China. You're selling nationally, internationally out of your kitchen table. As a kitchen table, small business, you've got to be kidding me if you don't think you need a lawyer helping you at some point, just, just, just over your shoulder, just to mm-hmm. check on a few things. And I, I really encourage people to get that help because so much tragedy that I see across my clients when they have really bad things happen, it's all preventable. You know. And, and, and so this is my way of saying, like, how can we make it any easier for you to get comfortable working with lawyers again? That's, well, that's what we're trying to do. So.
1: That's great. We will make sure we get that link in the show notes below. Appreciate that. It was awesome to meet you. Thank you so much. Well, that's great. Thanks for thanks for coming on today, Paul. Appreciate you. Take care. Have all the best. Take care, for, everyone
2: out there in listener land.
1: For listeners, remember, if you like this episode, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave us an honest review. And if you're looking for more information regarding connecting with Paul, or um, his service to be able to speak to a lawyer or his guild, you will find the links, all of them in the show notes below. In addition, if you're looking for more information on growing your business, check out our podcast resource center available at podcast.makeeachclickcount.com. We have compiled all of our different past guests by show topic and included each of their contact information in case you would like more information at any of the services I have discussed during previous episodes. Well, that's it for today. Remember to stay safe, keep healthy, and happy marketing. And I will talk to you in the next episode.
0: This has been the Make Each Click Count podcast.